Hey guys, you're listening to episode 38 of the Finish Line Podcast, where we discuss the intersection of faith, generosity, and personal finance. Today we have John Cortinez joining us again to discuss some great Finish Line questions that you all have submitted, and you don't want to miss it. Welcome to the podcast. My name is Cody Hobelman, and I'm here with my co-host and brother, Keelan. Today, we're getting back to some of our podcast roots in our first Finish Line Q&A panel. Over the last several months, we've had questions come in on all sorts of different topics related to setting a financial finish line. Some have come from our Facebook group, some are from our online forum, and others have come in through email. We picked out a few to answer on the show today. We're also lucky enough to have John Cortinez back with us to help tackle some of these questions. You might remember John from back on episode 13, where he shared his story and experience in setting a financial finish line, as well as lots of wisdom he's picked up along the way. He's co-author of the books God and Money, as well as True Riches, along with another of our past guests, Greg Balmer. Before we get started, I just wanted to remind you about our finish line sprints. If you've been getting a lot out of this podcast and are looking for a way to take it to the next level, you should consider starting or joining a sprint. A sprint is a guided program for small groups meant to lead you through the overarching biblical themes related to wealth and money, while allowing you to explore the restored freedom and purpose that comes with choosing a financial finish line. The sprint guide is completely free and available on our website at finishlinepledge.com sprint. Sprints are also completely self-led, so you don't need a trained leader or someone who's been through the program before. All you need are a couple friends to get started. So check it out and get a group together today. And with that, let's get started. All right, here we are back with John Cortinez. You know, we had you back here on episode 13, John, and, and we are excited to have you back today. Thanks for joining us. Thanks, guys. It's great to be with you. Looking forward to the conversation. So we get questions from time to time about financial finish lines and all the different kind of topics and subtopics that that brings up as people start to think about what that might look like in their own life. And so we've collected some of those questions today. We'll see how many we can get through. But if it's okay with you guys, I wanted to start off just kind of redefining what a financial finish line is. We talk about it all the time on the podcast, but for somebody that's just kind of jumping in, with this episode or, or more recently, they might have not really heard of that term or have you know a full concept of what that is. So either of you guys want to just take a second and kind of define what a financial finish line means to you and what that kind of looks like in your life? You can take that one, John. <laughs> All right, sure. Absolutely. Yeah. So I shared a bit of my story last time I was with you guys. And part of that journey was recognizing that there was this idolatry of wealth in my life, right? And talking to other Christians who were further down this road, I saw people living within the concept of enough. People who had said, this is enough money, even if I have more income, more wealth, I'm going to define what enough looks like. And I'm going to basically decouple my lifestyle from what finances I have available, the financial resources that are available in my life. And and that was that was this totally new paradigm for me and amazing to see people living that way. And and my wife and I and, and my co-author, Greg Balmer, and his wife, Allison, we were all on this journey together 
I don't know, seven, eight years ago now. And, and so we each made a decision that our families would live on a certain amount per year based on family size, based on cost of living and these sorts of things. And, and so that if God provided upside for us financially, that would be, that would lead to saving and giving, you know, more saving or more giving. And, and we actually put some caps on the saving side as well. So that's a little bit of an answer in story form. So to, to cut right down to the question of, well, what is a financial finish line? I would say it's a set amount above which there's a commitment to not spend. Even if more money comes in, there's a desire to live at a certain budget, a certain finish line, and the rest is available to invest into God's kingdom. But you guys are the finish line experts. So what would you say, Cody? <laughs> yeah, that was a great, concise explanation. And it really is just, just drawing a line somewhere and saying, this is enough for for me, for my family. This is what we're going to live on, regardless of what comes in. That's just a really simple way to put it. And there's lots more recordings of us talking about this in earlier episodes. If if people are interested, they can go back to the first half dozen episodes or so and really get into the weeds. But in this episode, I think we're looking to clarify some questions that have come up since, you know, we have the website to to add additional resources. But yeah, what we're talking about here is really just having peace with the concept of enough. I, I just love the way you put that. Yeah. And the one thing I'll add is, and which is really not the focus of today, but I think is always important when we're talking about the idea of a finish line is why would somebody consider doing that? And for me, it always comes down to the idea that everything that we own, any money that passes through our hands, that has passed through our hands or or ever will in the future, all belongs to God. It's easy to think that there's some designated for God and some designated for us, but it really all belongs to God. And so something that's been helpful for me is to think of ourselves as managers over what really belongs to God. And so when you think of it that way, you know, a manager has a fee of some sort to cover their expenses. And and for us, that's our, our living expenses. How much do we need to support ourselves and our families? But if any money or wealth that passes through our hands ultimately belongs to God, then, you know, we're really tasked with that question. How much do I need? How much is enough? so that I can manage the rest to glorify God's kingdom and and advance the work of his kingdom. And that's why I think a a financial finish line is so valuable and important. So with that, why don't we dive into some of these questions? This first one is a question that came from our Facebook group, and we see this one with some frequency in, in all kinds of variations. So I think it'd be good to tackle today. And the question is, I live in an expensive part of the country, how would you account for this in setting a financial finish line? Uh, thanks for that question. You know, it's certainly all relative. And so we we thought a lot about this, my friend Greg and I, when we were writing God and Money, where we laid down some of these ideas and thinking about this in our own lives, because we thought, where are our careers going to take us? You know, we're, at the time we were living in Boston, but now here I am in, in the suburbs of Orlando. And so that's very different, right? And so I would just say, if you live in an expensive part of the country, it's more expensive. And there's nothing shameful about that. There's nothing overly complicated about that. It it just means that to achieve a certain lifestyle in an expensive part of the country, it's going to cost more money. I've thought about this, you know, if let's imagine it's, it's a year ago, we're recording in early 2022. Imagine it's about a year ago and you're, you have some land and are building a house, literally building a house to live in. And you've got peace before God about the size and, and character of the house. And you have the money to build it. 
the builder starts and then lumber prices double as we saw happen last year, right? So it's kind of like the cost of living question. Well, what do you do? Do you build a smaller house because you've set a budget and you, you know, heaven forbid we break the budget by a dollar or do you spend an extra $30,000 because that's what the lumber dictates. And, and, you know, there's not necessarily a, a right or a wrong answer to that. It's, it's a question of being that manager, just like you said, Keelan, and submitting the process to the Lord. So anecdotally, my wife and I used to live on $48,000 per year in South Louisiana early in our marriage. And when we moved to Boston for my grad school opportunities, same lifestyle, our spending went to 96000 a year. It literally doubled. Our life felt the same. If anything, it was harder living in Boston in the snowy winters. So, so you know, were we less good money managers up in Boston spending twice as much? I, I certainly wouldn't say that. So I think the last comment I would make, and I would love, you know, you, you guys' reflections as you think about this all the time as well, but, you know, there's nothing right or wrong about living in a high or low cost place. We, we could all move to rural Kansas and work remotely and, and shovel more money into our favorite charities hypothetically, but but we're called to certain communities, we're called to certain places, and, and that's something we have to discern and walk out. And so, yeah, I'd love to see everybody come on down to, to sunny, low-tax Florida where I am, but <laughs> that may not be the call. And so, again, the money management is part of the broader question of stewarding our life for the glory of God. That's where I would leave it. Or maybe that is the call to go to Orlando. I feel like we've had quite a few guests from Orlando. <laughs> <laughs> hey, it's great. Yeah, Cody, I know you're coming from Maryland, which is, I think, the second most expensive state in the country. So I'd love to hear your thoughts on that, too. Yeah, it was really interesting looking at statistics and data and all these things are very helpful. But when it really comes down to it, I mean, I've lived in three or four different counties within Maryland, and the cost of living varies pretty widely. I mean, there's neighborhoods that I could probably walk to that I can't afford to live in. So, you know, the state, even the county, the, the town that you live in, it certainly has an impact on on cost of living. How much is the cost for groceries? How much is the, the gas station charging? And that all comes into the decision. So when we move to the house that we live in right now, you know, we moved out of the county that we were in because we couldn't afford to buy in that county. And that's just part of the decision. So we actually, Steph and I set a finish line after buying the house that we're in now, but it really was one of the sticking points because our mortgage is the largest item in our lifestyle, in our budget. So Keelan, you and I talked ad nauseum about what do we do? You know, We don't know if we'll be able to raise a family once we start having kids in this same house. We may be able to, it may feel really, really cramped and that's a decision for another day. But when setting a finish line, I was thinking, can I maintain this finish line if we need to upsize? And Keelan, I know you're planning to move later this year and that you're going to have a similar kind of decision. So as far as cost of living goes, it's a, it's a very dynamic question. And it definitely is important to consider it. But just like John said, I don't feel guilty for living right where I do, because I see opportunities to get involved wherever I have lived. And Steph is always, you know, out there making friends and and becoming part of that community. 
So when Steph and I were setting that finish line, it, it very much was tempting to say, well, look at the median income in our town, in our county, in our state. It's so much higher than some others. So how can I be held to the same standard? But it's really not about comparison. It's about our unique circumstances where we live. So we have the best sense of what lifestyle is is reasonable. It's between Steph, myself, and God, really. And we could talk to other people, but to compare to someone in a completely different part of the country under completely different circumstances, it is and is not helpful. So all the way back in the beginning, we were talking about aspiring to the median, and you can use that median as a, as a benchmark. It felt a little, Steph and I weren't sure if we could commit to that long term right from the beginning. So it took a little experimentation to really zero in on the right finish line for us and adjusting for geography is is one of the largest questions, certainly. I think a really interesting dynamic that comes up in what you were just talking about, Cody, is that even within a metro area, there are these massive differences at play. So, you know, my family lives in a, you know, in a nice home where we love our house. It's got plenty of space for our family. It's an advantage of Florida. We have five kids. And so it's a great spot. But if I were to go 10 minutes down the road to my right, the same house we live in now would cost twice as much money, you know, and then we'd have a massive mortgage if we could even get into the home at all. But I could go 10 minutes to my left and, and it'd probably cost 25% less for the same because it'd be further out, out of town. So, you know, again, are there right answers or wrong answers? We should shame all the people who live over there and we should all aspire to be way out far from town. No, th- this is a matter of walking the adventure with the Lord, seeing where he's called us to. And yeah, making sometimes some trade-offs to say, we're going to make some different financial choices. We're going to give up a little bit of something for a greater cause because we're, we're trying to serve the king with our resources. Yeah, and that's a great point. And I have a good example of that in my own life too. So when my wife and I were first trying to narrow in on a finish line, you know, and everybody's kind of somewhere on the spectrum of not interested in numbers or statistics at all all the way to getting way down deep into the weeds of statistics and data and stuff like that. And obviously on our website, we do use a lot of data and pull in stuff from the census and income data, that sort of thing as a guideline. But that is really only meant to be a helpful guideline and not a prescriptive guideline in any way. So when we were looking at just some of the range of data that was out there for where we are, we're in the in the middle of Philadelphia Pennsylvania. And so we were looking at the different income levels. We looked at the state of Pennsylvania, which as far as the country goes, is somewhere kind of in the middle. And then we looked at the city of Philadelphia, which, you know, being a large metropolitan area, the cost of living was notably higher than kind of the middle range of the U.S. But then when you narrow down on just our zip code, then the income range dropped significantly because we, we happen to be right next to one of the hungriest zip codes in the country, meaning food insecurity, that sort of thing. And so, you know, in the city, just a couple blocks makes a big difference in terms of income levels and that sort of thing. So what I realized when I was looking through those numbers is that it's really easy to get lost in the weeds and miss the whole picture of what you're trying to accomplish in the first place. And something I think you actually did a great job of on your first interview with us on the podcast, John, is to really reframe the whole concept of a finish line as an opportunity or something that, you know, should make you excited and not something that 
you should feel guilty about or be stressed about or that kind of thing, like something that is restrictive as opposed to something that is inviting you into something. And, you know, when I think about a finish line, I see this greater picture of what God is doing all around the world. And especially with a lot of the conversations we've had here on the podcast, just incredible stuff going on. I know that we, my wife and I, make more than we need. We know where we say is enough. We are blessed to have more than that through our jobs. And so my desire is to just have capacity to be a part of that greater story, to be able to give and to support, you know, really exciting things going on around the world. And setting a finish line really just helped give us a framework to have that margin. But it's not like, you know, you're bordering on sinning if you, you know, choose the wrong finish line or something like that. And I think especially for people that are brand new to the idea of a finish line, it's really easy to to get into that obligation or, or guilt side of things. But I think that's that's not the best way to kind of dive into things. Absolutely. All right. Well, let's head on to our second question. This one is kind of a different angle. If I set a finish line, how do I account for things like growing inflation, increasing family size, or kids getting older and, and therefore more expensive, et cetera? Great. A couple answers to that. One is to go to the calculator you guys have built because it'll stay updated to inflation and accounts for number of kids. So that there's the easy answer. No, but I would say again, the just the freedom to walk this out in Christ. The point of this is not a some artificial restriction to make our lives, you know, miserable or, or rule bound or something, but to put a healthy guardrail in place. And so the way that I've thought about this with my family is, you know, we set a number, which by the way was was a hundred thousand dollars in spending per year for a family of four in an average city. And and we actually set that generously high on the possibility that our career would have a lot of upside. And and again, we wanted a guardrail, not a, you know, huge restriction, so to speak. That was for two kids, you know, average city. We are in an average city, but we have five kids, a couple of foster children, three biological children. And now that was six years ago when we set our finish line. So our hypothetical finish line is something like $125,000 per year in spending now. I do work for a nonprofit, have a little bit of income as an author, but we have, based on current income, based on, frankly, our happiness at our current level of spending, we spend about $80,000, $85,000 a year, and we're perfectly content right there. And we're able to actually save a little bit more than we otherwise would if we were to go all the way up to where that finish line concept has been for us. So we've been spending under it, and, and we've been happy with that based on our current career circumstances. So So yeah, you know, and you mentioned things like kids getting older and more expensive. I mean, I just, I think that's part of it. One of the things I would share is that a healthy practice here is to be in community around this topic. It, you know, obviously with a spouse, if you're married, but also with good friends who you trust. And, and this is the kind of thing where you go, you know, okay, my kid needs braces and I'm going to blow through my finish line. What do we think? Let's pray about it. Versus I've always wanted to do a European blowout vacation. What do you think about it? I mean, those are two very different circumstances. And so again, the the judgment that comes in the moment is an important factor in thinking through these kinds of questions. Yeah, Steph and I don't have any kids currently, but it's certainly one of the biggest questions when you're planning to have kids is, are we financially prepared or how can we get financially prepared for that? And as far as finish lines are concerned, how do you adjust appropriately? Obviously, it's going to cost more when there's more bodies in the house, but how much more? How do you get a sense for that? And Keelan, I love the way that you kind of 
talked me through that and like John said, embedded that into the calculator. But there's a lot of future considerations that I can already see coming and questions that we've gotten. One of the big ones I think is education for kids. How do you approach that topic all the way up through college if they decide to go? And that's something that I think, again, it's a personal decision, but the finish line really allows you to evaluate the larger decisions in light of everything else that's going on in your life. So you can kind of have a reference point of what what is reasonable and you have perspective on, yeah, we'd like to go on, on a vacation or maybe two vacations this year, but how do you set a budget for that? So these big expenditures, if you have to buy a new car at some point, I'm going to have to get a new car when mine stops running. How do you approach that? Do you get a brand new car off the lot? Do you approach it differently? I don't know. It depends on your situation. But I think the finish line will need some continuous tweaking. It's not meant to be set in stone for the rest of your life. You know, an example I think of is the Barnhart family, Ellen and Catherine Barnhart. Their famous video story through generous giving and have shared their story. But you know, their company is worth hundreds of millions of dollars. They've given that into a foundation. And so they've they've given away their company, raised multiple children. And in the most expensive time of life, when their kids were growing up, they've shared that they were taking a salary out of their business for of $160,000 per year, which sounds like a lot if you're, you know, in college or something and, and sounds radically low if you're a fellow owner of a $100 million business. But that's what they took when they had a bunch of kids growing up. As they've moved towards an empty nest season, they've actually reduced their own salary that they take out of their business. And, and it's gone down to about $100,000 a year. So that, first of all, that's an amazing set of choices. I mean, incredible. But second of all, it reflects that finish line concept of, you know, when kids are teenagers, things are going to cost more for a family. And, and that's okay, because obviously the God of the universe is well aware of, of what things cost. And so if we're striving to be faithful to him every step of the way, that's where he'll meet us. Yeah, I think you're exactly right. I just want to mention for, you mentioned the calculator, John, for anybody who is not familiar with our calculator, we do have a finish line calculator on our website that you can find at finishlinepledge.com slash calculator. And it's based roughly on U.S. Census income data. So it just helps you get an idea across the country if you were to pick any number for a finish line, where would that kind of be on the scale of everybody else in the country Knowing that, like we said in the first question, we all live in different areas with different living expenses. But one of the things on the calculator is you can choose your family size and it will appropriately scale by family size, getting to the first part of this question. And then we we update the numbers of the census data that it's based on every year, which helps account for the inflation. So that's part of this question. But I did just want to kind of reiterate something that, that both of you were kind of saying is that you know, I think a finish line really does need to be fluid, especially with very different phases of life, you know, thinking especially of of college years, especially if you have multiple kids in college, I'm going to have three of my four girls in college in the same year. (laughs) So that'll be an interesting time of life. Uh, But, you know, when I think about a finish line, without a finish line, your kind of default is if more money comes into our family, then the default is we're going to spend that on ourselves or things that we need or increase our lifestyle that it's, it's available for that. What a finish line does is it says, 
this is how much we need as a family. Anything above that, we're going to use you know, for whatever God would lead us to. And what I think is relevant to this question is when those kind of big expenses come up, or even like the braces example that you brought up, I don't think it's important to very legalistically be very rigid about the finish line as much as it is that when that decision comes up, it's not just a default. Oh yeah, of course we're going to do that. Then it's a conversation between you and your spouse or between you and some kind of accountability group that you have. It's a conversation at that point and not just a default. And that's what I think the real value of a finish line is. So I love how you kind of phrase that, John. Yeah. Something else that I just thought of as you were talking is, is this inflation factor. You know, I'm building retirement plans for people through work all the time and we run them for decades, you know, 30, 40, sometimes 50 years, depending on the age of the client. And that $100,000 of spending, that $120,000 of spending at the end of the plan, it's more than double that. So it does take some maintenance to kind of keep things reasonable in line. But another thing that is important to consider is costs go both ways. What happens when you pay off your house and that's no longer an expense in your budget? You still have taxes to consider, but you know, there's a couple ways to think about that. Either now you have a lot more room for spending or maybe your needs have changed and it requires some maintenance. So all of those things together, I think you do have to continually be evaluating. Yeah, that's a great point. All right. So we can move on to the next question, which is, I recently received a large inheritance, although I'm already in a decent financial position with a mortgage, but no other debt. How would you handle that situation with a finish line in place? Wonderful question. I think for anybody listening who says that must be nice, I don't have an inheritance coming in. This framework, I believe, applies to any kind of a windfall or liquidity event. Could be an extra thousand dollars. It could be an annual bonus at work. It could be an inheritance and inheritances can be big or small. I believe that circumstance, it all falls in to the same, the same framework. So if you're living with the concept of a finish line in place, there's really only two things available to you when extra money comes in. One is to save and one is to give. And so my encouragement would be step one is to pause and, and just praise God with gratitude for bringing extra money into your life. Give credit to the source of all good gifts Tactically speaking, as you're praying and thinking about what to do, I would encourage sitting still for a while. You know, don't just do something the day after the money arrives, just prayerfully sit with it, just as a, again, tactical piece of advice. And I would pray through what, what are we going to do between saving and giving? And maybe you're living under your finish line because you don't have the resources. And then you're thinking of all three, okay, spending, saving, and giving, but it's just an allocation question. So if I were to think of a couple of examples you know, newlyweds, pregnant with a baby, covered up with student loans. Okay, you, you may be thinking faithfully, let's give, let's tithe off of this, and let's put 90% of it to eliminate those debts that are hanging over us. And I think that could be a great and faithful move. Or maybe you're 45 years old and your net worth is a couple million dollars and your house is paid off, and then you get an inheritance. Well, there's a giving and saving aspect, but maybe you're you're giving half of it away because you're in a different position financially. So how pressing are the needs to save? Are there debts to take care of? And then what is God leading you to in terms of giving? That's that's how I would think about it. One biblical principle that's important here is, you know, Acts chapter five is, is Ananias and Sapphira. They, of course, died because they lied about a gift they made. So that, that's a really dramatic story. But 
A detail we often miss is they sold their land and then they lied about, again, was it the whole amount they were giving to the early church? But when Peter was talking to Ananias about what had happened, he said, after you sold the field, wasn't the money at your disposal? So Peter's saying, hey, is your money, it's at your disposal. And you're, you know, you're the manager, you're the steward. And so it's not like there's this expectation you got a windfall, you should give 100% of it away immediately. Again, as the manager, God is entrusting you, your your family, your needs, and also the call to give and invest in his kingdom. So we avoid both extremes. The one extreme that says, hey, this is my money, I'll do what I want with it. And the other extreme that says, you better give it all away or you're somehow kind of a bad Christian or something. So I'll close with this. My wife and I, we had an instance of this in our life recently. And just to give you the breakdown, we we had a mortgage, just like the person posing this question. We gave 15%. We spent 10% because we were spending under our finish line. And then whatever that leaves, I guess 75% went straight to the mortgage. So that was that's what we did in a situation like this. But that's not that that's the right answer. That's just what happened when we prayed about it and, and allocated the funds. I really appreciate that you suggested that you sit and wait and pray about that decision. And I think a situation that I see somewhat frequently working with, you know, hundreds of, of households is often people, because of longer life expectancies, people are living longer, people are generating an incredible amount of wealth given how the stock market's performed and just good habits over a long period of time. But a lot of people are in retirement when they're actually receiving an inheritance. And just like you said, it's different phases of life, different needs, and it really affects the decision. And I see it handled all kinds of different ways. One situation where I think that period of waiting and not pre-deciding is if you are in your 60s or 70s, you've retired and you get a couple hundred thousand dollars, for example, and you know that you'll never need it. And it's just money that you could save. You could, you could do anything you wanted with it. What I see somewhat commonly is to invest it and plan to give it to your kids. And that may or may not be an appropriate strategy given your circumstances. Something to consider is... What are those dollars doing in an investment account that you don't need versus what could those dollars do if they were injected into the kingdom? What could God do with that? So I think that is an important question to ask yourself, regardless of the amount, is do you truly need it? And where is it ultimately going? I think to reflect on those things can really help to bring clarity to the situation. Yeah, it's good, Cody. I was at an event recently with my co-author, Greg, who went into the business world after we set our mutual finish lines and has had remarkable financial success. And we were in a room full of quite wealthy and successful people. And and a couple of folks were asking, you know, shouldn't we build and accumulate wealth over our lifetimes so that we can give more? You know, I could, why give a million now when I can invest and invest and give 10 million later or, you know, insert your own numbers and my friend Greg, with the credibility of someone who's seen, you know, millions come in and has then given those millions, but he said, there's a real pride in that to think that you can out invest God. You could put the money in his kingdom and let him bear spiritual fruit, or you could make financial investments and you're making the assumption that you're going to do better than, than God. <laughs> and I thought that was such a powerful statement, you know, obviously not in a condemning way, but just in a challenging way to say, hey, if, if there's a desire to give, 
Why wait 30 years when you can do it today? Yeah, that's a great way of putting that. And I've seen that play out in many people's lives. One of the things that comes to mind when I think about this windfall kind of a situation, and and like you both have mentioned, there's all kinds of different phases in life when that might happen. And obviously the phase of life and your circumstances will dictate a lot. But any kind of windfall, I think, is a wonderful opportunity from God. You know, if you really consider yourself a manager, then, you know, in a sense, that is God entrusting you with a large sum all at once and asking what you're going to do with it. And one of the things that you said, John, that I really appreciate is that waiting and praying through that, but not trying to act right away. I think that there's a lot of wisdom in that, not just in finances, but really in all kind of major decisions in life, but especially in this situation as well, and giving it some time to allow your self and your your mind to adjust to everything and to allow time to really try to hear what God might be speaking into your life. But I think back to a whole bunch of different stories that I've heard through our podcast that people have shared or through like the stories that Generous Giving has shared about basically this kind of exact, and you know, depending on what you consider a, a windfall, but people in this exact circumstance who then go on to enter into one of the most interesting parts of their life because of what they were able to do and to be a part of with that kind of a sum. And that's why I think a finish line is helpful is because you know that you're not going to increase your standard of living. So then the question is, well, what am I going to do with it? And, and like you said, John, that can involve saving or trying to increase your stability and, and security, or that can involve giving as well. And you know, whatever God might have you step into through that. But I think really seeing it as an opportunity or an invitation from God to potentially enter into something very interesting and exciting. All right. So let's move on to the next question here. This question says, God has really stretched me in giving out of my income. And that process has been very rewarding. My husband and I want to start giving out of our savings too. Do you have any advice for that? Sure. You know, I I would say that this is not a Question we can answer prescriptively, but I'll just share an idea that and give full credit to Andy Crouch, who gave a talk on mammon, you know, the spirit of money that we fight against in a spiritual sense. And he, I just heard this talk a, a couple months ago for the first time, but he talks about how there's giving or tithing in the traditional sense off of income. And he said that he and his family had become convicted to try tithing off of wealth. And they've done it. I can't remember. He says in his talk two or three times in their life, they've tithed on their wealth, which has been a dramatically difficult moment as he articulated the process, because even as you give off your income, you're typically saving along the way. So, you know, net worth is going up over time, but you're actually taking a moment where that number is going to go down. And what does that do to your heart and, and mind? And so I'm sharing the concept, not from experience, but just from having just heard that. So I would say, follow the Lord's prompting. And if he leads you into that, absolutely. You know, the assets we've accumulated are held with open hands for him. And so listen to him leading you. I do think that giving out of net worth versus off of your income as you receive it, it is a different kind of consideration. And to me, it can be a more difficult concept to wrap your head around because it's it's there for a designated purpose. I'm assuming if you've saved it, if you've put it in a retirement account or in your bank account, it's kind of like a financial security blanket for you. And it makes you feel 
protected against, you know, the future. And John, I love in your book and God of Money, how you describe a net worth finish line, how you have put in the considerations to say, okay, well, I can figure out how much is enough income, but how much is enough security? And to reduce that, to put a cap or to reduce it is really an expression of gratitude and trust and faith to God. It's acknowledging that he has provided every cent that you've saved and that you've earned and to say, I trust you to do it again and to continue doing it. And you're not going to leave me out to dry. And I just think that's such a powerful strategy. And another thing to consider is there's a lot of advantages to doing that depending on your method. So that's when we get into strategies like giving from appreciated assets. The U.S. has all these wonderful tax-advantaged ways to do that. So really, when you enter into those kinds of considerations, I've heard it described as God's economy. The numbers just amplify themselves when you really try to bring yourself in line with what God is really truly calling you to in your life. So I just think it's such a, a wonderful question because it can unlock that part of your spirit of, God, I'm going to trust you to do this again. I'm going to trust you to provide what I need when I need it. And it's a faith growing exercise, I think. Absolutely. Yeah, I agree. And I will just reference early on, we did an episode exclusively dedicated to finish lines for people who are already retired. And I think that this question is very relevant in that context, you know, especially if you're retired and no longer have an income at all, which is, I don't know exactly the case of this this person's question, but in that case, any of your giving is going to be giving out of savings, it's giving out of your retirement savings. And so we did do an episode where, where Cody and I talked through a lot of those considerations. But yeah, I, th- I think that it, much like setting a an income finish line, it requires a lot of back and forth with God and, re- and really figuring out what your purpose in giving is and in saving is altogether. And Back to that idea of, of being a manager, you know, whatever you have saved, especially if you're later on in life, saved over the course of your whole life, being an active manager of that and really seeking what God might have you do, recognizing that you have an obligation to your family and to, you know, supporting your kids or whatever else your responsibilities might entail. And so, you know, there's still a lot of wisdom, I think, in trying to balance that towards you know later on in life where income is sometimes less of a part of the equation and net worth is more a part of the equation. All right. And then our last question for today, do you think that everybody should have a finish line? What a great question. I want to be careful in this because this is really a question in biblical interpretation, right? As, as, as people who adhere to what God's word teaches us, we're making an interpretive leap to answer a question like this definitively, because there's not a clear chapter and verse where it says, you know, here's how to handle lifestyle according to a finish line framework. But if I were to venture out and do that, I would say that there are two concepts biblically that in my mind, looking at Genesis to Revelation should apply in the life of the believer. One is the concept of margin, you know, always leaving margin in our finances to be generous And the second is a concept of enough, of recognizing God as the provider, living with contentment rather than living with greed. And with those two principles in mind, if our financial resources continue to go up and up and up, 
that concept of contentment really comes into play. So what does a contented and godly lifestyle look like if God has given me all the money in the world? And so at some level, I would say yes. Now, does that mean every, I think every Christian ought to have an annual number that they have set and committed to and accountability with others? And if they don't, they're doing it wrong. I wouldn't go that far. But are those principles at play in the way someone lives their life? You know, I was with a very godly couple in their 60s with a very high financial net worth, you know, extremely successful in the world of business, extremely generous, love the Lord. And they have a company plane that the company uses, you know, private aircraft for business purposes. And we were talking about these questions of lifestyle and the wife in the conversation mentioned, oh, yeah, I'm going to see so-and-so in another city, you know, next week and I'm flying commercial. Why would I need to take our private plane that's for the business when I can get on a plane like anybody else? And that's an, an example from, you know, a world of wealth that most of us don't occupy. But honestly, it blew my mind because at that level of wealth, 90 something percent of people would never hesitate to say, yeah, I own a plane. I'm getting on it to go. But there was an intentional desire in this in this godly couple to say, we want to live our lives in a contented and simple way, even when the money is not an obstacle. So that's a long way of saying, I, I think the principles that lie behind finish lines are indeed biblical. So they do have application to, to all of us. I do think this topic is very important when you look at scripture. I think by Larry Burkett's count, there's 2,350 verses pertaining to money, wealth, greed, finances. This sphere is talked about incredibly often in the Bible. And to me, that means something. And I always am searching, what does it mean for me? And when I re-examine these verses or even the commonly known parables, they hit me in different ways at different times of my life. And I, oh, now I get it. Now it makes sense. And I hear new perspectives on it. So I think it is important for everyone to consider the question, how much is enough? But as is with my story, that concept is not only applicable for people who currently have more than enough. So when I set a finish line, Steph was in grad school. We had student loans. We didn't feel like we had enough. And when we looked at the numbers, we didn't think we had enough by the numbers either. So what we did is we set a line saying, if God chooses to bless us further by providing more income, where will we draw the line? And can we do that today for a future point in time? And that's exactly what we did. We set a finish line that was more than we were currently spending on our own lifestyle. And within a year, Steph had graduated from grad school and she was working full time and I got a raise and pretty soon we had more than enough, which was kind of surprising, but we had already laid out the game plan for what to do in that situation. And even if it was 10 years down the road, I think someone in high school could be considering these things. Certainly someone in college who's going out and trying to find their first job and thinking about, well, this one has higher pay, but I don't think I'd like that job. This concept could set them free from grinding themselves down in a job that they hate just to have the higher salary. And that's that's the mindset that I was very tempted to get caught up in at that exact point in my life. I saw my friends getting really high-paying jobs, and I felt jealous. I said, I wonder if I had taken a, a different class, if I had changed my major at this point, if I made the right connections, could I be earning twice as much? Wouldn't that be great? But the way that it's played out, I wouldn't change a thing. So to be able to feel that contentment 
with the decisions that you have made, but also the decisions that you are yet to make. I think working through that question of how much is enough. And then, of course, with your spouse or if you're single and you'd like to get married, talk about it beforehand. Because I think it's really important to be evenly yoked in these types of things. Finances, we know issues around finances are a leading cause of divorce. So if you're starting to understand that this is going to become a future issue, you can get in front of it. Yeah, I think those are some great points. A phrase that kind of comes to mind frequently for me and in talking about finish lines is the idea that nobody stumbles into enough, into realizing enough. It's really a conscious decision. And if you're hoping that you'll just know when you're there, you know, I think it's very hard to do that. I think there will always be a large number of temptations and opportunities for more spending. And especially over a long period of time, as that standard of living just keeps slowly notching up as more income comes in. And so I would, I guess, reframe this question a little bit to from, do you think everyone should have a finish line to, uh, do you think everybody would benefit from a finish line? And which I think kind of goes along with what you were saying, John, is, you know, is somebody doing it wrong if they don't have a finish line? I don't know that I would go as far to say that, but would just about everybody benefit from discussing with their spouse if they're married or, or on their own, if they're single, choosing some line that is either that you've already passed if, if you're at that kind of an income level, or maybe that's in the future, or maybe that you won't even ever reach. But saying, drawing a line in the sand somewhere and saying, at this point, I know that I would have enough. I think that there is a lot of benefit to that. Like you were saying, Cody, I think that there's a lot of peace in, you know, like I think about somebody just coming out of college, going into whatever career, looking at basically an infinite number of possibilities of career advancement, job switches, all kinds of decisions. If you have just an open roof on the potential for standard of living, lifestyle, and all of that, then there's a lot of pressure behind those kind of decisions. But if you know, like I've set my finish line at 100,000 or at 150,000 or whatever you have chosen as a finish line, then you know I'm maybe not that far away from my finish line. Any decisions that would increase my income beyond this are going to increase my capacity to give. And that's that's awesome. But that is certainly a different kind of framework than you know, just knowing that you're going to have twice the income that you have now or something like that. So even for somebody that's very early or, you know, even a college student who has no income right now, but is, is looking towards a career in the next year or two, I think that there's value in setting a finish line, even if it isn't the right finish line, but grappling with that question, how much really is enough? And then having that continued fluid conversation with God through the rest of your life. And as circumstances change, as we've mentioned multiple times. So as we're wrapping up here, I just wanted to take some time for our manager's minute. And as we all seek to manage God's wealth wisely, we like to end our episodes with one practical action our listeners can take to do just that. So John, can you share a quick suggestion for how people can be using any financial margin they have to serve their communities, to advance the gospel and build God's kingdom? Sure. You know, I was, you guys asked me about this before the podcast, so I was thinking about, okay, what's the idea to share? And this might be a little bit different, but I want to encourage people who are listening to at least once a year, you know, we all track our finances in various ways. We, we see where our checking account is. We 
hopefully are thinking about our retirement accounts and all of that and looking at our giving. But I would encourage everybody to sit down at least once a year and prepare some kind of a report. You may keep a spreadsheet, you may do it in PowerPoint, whatever whatever the case may be. But as you walk the journey of life over time, you know, and I'm now in my 30s and so I've been doing this for a while. As you build these graphs, you know, track things like cumulative giving over time, right? We all we all know how to calculate our net worth and that we're supposed to care a lot about that. And okay, that's fine. Look at that. We can track our debts and see them going down and dream about the day when they get to zero, but also track cumulative giving, you know, and what does it look like when you hit $100,000 in lifetime giving and you can celebrate that or a million dollars someday? That, that one will take a while, but, but how cool will that be? So there's something in that, you know, if you're going to seek accountability with others, making an annual report like that is something you can share with them. Or even just to spur a conversation with a spouse if you're married to say, hey, look, here's where we are. Here's where the numbers are. It's amazing how life can fly by. And so just once a year updating those sorts of things, number one, gives you an opportunity to praise God for the journey he's taken you on and the provision he's brought. Number two, it can clarify some things like I really want to finish getting out of debt or I really want to step up our giving as, as we go forward. And, and number three, it's a conversation starter, again, with, with friends or with spouse about, hey, let me share where we are financially. Let's talk about what God may be leading us into maybe even setting up a finish line. Who knows? So, Yeah, thanks so much for sharing that, John. I really love that idea. And I found that awareness factor to be so important. And as soon as Steph and I really wrapped our heads around what are the obstacles to giving, we zeroed in on debt and we set some really specific goals around that. And it's just amazing how God can focus your minds and your hearts and provide so that you can achieve those goals when you really seek to be in line with his will for your life. But thank you so much, John, for joining us. It's been really great getting your perspective on all of these questions. And we'd love to have you back sometime as more questions pop up. Thanks so much for having me back on. Really appreciate the work you guys are doing in spurring these conversations. Hey, thanks so much for listening to the show, guys. If you have questions about setting a financial finish line, the finish line movement, or anything else you heard on the show today, we'd love to hear from you. And now I have a quick question for you. Do you know anyone who is living a life filled with generosity, purpose, and mission? If so, we'd love to talk to them. They don't need to have a financial finish line, and they don't need to have all the answers. They just need a heart to steward God's wealth to the best of their ability. If you know someone like that, we'd be honored if you could connect us. You can reach us on Instagram at finishlinepledge, through our website at finishlinepledge.com, or by email at hello at finishlinepledge.com. And finally, if you want to find any of our references or links from today's show, you can always find them in our show notes at finishlinepledge.com slash episode 38. That's it for today. We'll see you next time. <laughs>